Thank you, Brad. Uh, like Brad said, my name is Kevin. I'm a member here at the Oaks, um, a group leader, and I'm excited to preach for us today in our sermon series on prayer. Um, we're continuing this series on the Lord's Prayer, and we get to this topic of forgiveness. We're, we're having shorter sermons during this time, and then time of prayer also to lead into communion and more worship together. And so today with this line on forgiveness, we're talking about forgiveness, how God's forgiveness shatters the paradigms of justice and revenge as responses to being wronged and what that means for prayers. And so we're going to read actually all of the Lord's Prayer again, and then the two verses following it today. So if you would open your Bibles up to Matthew 16, we have to open our Bibles up today. We don't have the screens. So we get to look at the words on the page, old school style. Uh, and then at, if you're able, would you please rise for and stand for the reading of God's word? So Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. And so this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. He says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. So my wife and I were a little behind the curve. We recently got into the HBO show Succession. Uh, it just ended the whole show. And so we're starting at season one. Um, we're behind, and it's not exactly a wholesome show that you would recommend uh, from the pulpit. But it does show us something. Um, it's about a family that really does not understand forgiveness. Okay, it's about a family that runs this media conglomerate. It's about jockeying for power. It's about um, just getting as much as you can from other people and not being very kind along the way. And there's one scene in season one where uh, the oldest brother, he is pitching to be an investor in this startup and they end up getting snubbed. They just are told no. And he's not used to being told no. Okay, he has grown up always having everything he's wanted. And instead of just taking the L and moving on, he calls his counterpart and says, I want you to ruin them. I want you to get journalists on the phone. I want you to tell them that they're taking investors' money, sticking it in their arms, and that they are making huge waste of this and that they're frauds. He wants to absolutely ruin them. And this, what he's doing is he's getting revenge. He's taking more from them than what they did to him. They just said no will pass, and he wants to ruin their entire lives and careers. And revenge is really how the world operates outside of the rule of law, okay? There's a rule of law. Eventually in human history, we came up with this idea that, hey, we really shouldn't take more from someone that has wronged us, okay? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's in the law of Moses. It's in other ancient laws and texts. And before that, it's just raw power. Take what you can get. If you gouge my eye out, I'm going to kill you and your family. That's revenge. It's above and beyond, okay? But Jesus comes along, and when he's teaching us to pray, and throughout his entire life and ministry, he changes that understanding of the rule of law too. 
Because the rule of law, eye for an eye, is not how God's kingdom operates. God's kingdom operates on forgiveness. We don't get what we deserve. We are not paid back for what we have done with sin to God. Forgiveness is what the kingdom of God is all about. And we see Jesus' emphasis on forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. You know, I was only assigned uh, verse 12 for this sermon. And that's the line that says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I was reading this and thinking about it and really wrestling with that second part of the line. But if you zoom out and you look at the whole of the Lord's Prayer, you realize that's the only line that has that extra little bit. It doesn't say, give us our daily bread as we give others their daily bread. That's not what's happening. He focuses in on forgiveness with that extra line. And then you continue reading this passage before he switched to talking about fasting, before Jesus changes the subject, and he has these two verses afterwards where he really doesn't let you get off the hook. He doesn't really have a lot of vagueness about what he means by, as we forgive others. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty tough, isn't it? I don't know about you, I sat with this this week and I really wanted a little bit more wiggle room from Jesus on this. Because if you've lived long enough, you've had something happen to you, someone has wronged you in a way where forgiveness is hard. If someone forgets to pay you back $5 for something, okay, we'll let it slide. You know, it's not that hard to forgive. I'll take the hit. But there are bigger offenses, bigger sins than just not repaying someone a couple of bucks. Forgiveness is central to the Christian faith, and it's something that we wrestle with. And so there's three things I want to talk about as we look at forgiveness and the Lord's Prayer and what that has to do with prayer. We have forgiveness in Christ. It's the first thing. God expects us to share that forgiveness with others is the second thing. And then I want to talk about forgiving others through God's presence in prayer. So first, we have forgiveness in Christ. In this passage, Matthew uses the term debt. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Luke uses the term sins. There's a lot of different versions of the Lord's Prayer that you might come across as you study Scripture. But Matthew's specific term, debt, the Greek term debt, it's more of like an accounting term. It's very literal in the meaning debt. You owe something. But underneath that, it's, it's widely understood that Jesus would have been using an Aramaic word. That's what Jesus spoke when he was doing his ministry. And it would have been more encompassing than just a monetary debt. It would have been for failure. Okay, moral, ethical, legal failure. It's bigger than just thinking about debt. And forgiveness, also a very literal term used by Jesus in Matthew's recounting of it. It means wiping the slate clean. Your debt would have been written on a stone tablet or something like that, and wiping the slate clean is when we just erased it. There's no more record of your debt. That is what forgiveness is. God's wiping away your debt, wiping the slate clean. And the way Jesus is talking about asking for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer would have struck the original audience, the original Jewish audience, as pretty audacious. When you went as a Jew to the temple to atone for your sins, you brought something with you. You brought a sacrifice, a grain offering, something to say, hey, 
Here, God, is this thing, except it on behalf of my sin, of my debt. Jesus isn't saying that. He's not saying, except something that we bring in prayer, except my good deeds, what I have to bring to the table, except this, the way that I give, I'm just kind to people, I work in the food pantry upstairs, except these good deeds to cover my sins. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, ask. He's just saying, wipe it away. In this position that he's telling us to have in prayer would have been absolutely new and revolutionary to the original hearers. I think when it comes to the idea of debt, of, of, of money being wiped away, it's so easy to, maybe it's just me who gets, I get stuck in this, this money mode about thinking about debt and, and the accounting of it all. But if, if I have a debt to be paid, and it's God who's forgiving that debt. God's got to have a pretty big bank account, right? Like he's got to have a big bank account. It can't, is it really going to move the needle all that much? If God's got to pay off my house, my mortgage, it'd be more like Jeff Bezos buying me Chipotle, right? Is, is he really going to miss that $10 that it costs for my burrito? It's easy to get stuck thinking that covering a debt Covering our sin doesn't cost God all that much. But that's not how it works. Instead of Bezos buying Chipotle, be much more like if you were in debt to the tune of a trillion dollars. I checked, not even Bezos has a trillion dollars. Nobody has a trillion dollars. So they couldn't be able to cover that debt. But then you get a note from the bank, a letter saying, hey, you know, your debt's been wiped clean. You're good. You don't owe us anything anymore. So you call the bank and you're like, uh, nobody has that much money. What's going on? Um, how did this get covered? And they say, well, we have this letter. Come pick it up. This letter from the person that, that covered your debt. And you open up the letter and, and it says, dear Kevin, you know, I, I know you're wondering how your debt got covered and who I am. So here's just a little bit about me and, and what it took to, to wipe this immense debt, this trillion dollar debt away. He says, well, I was born, you know, relative obscurity. I was born in a barn, born to nobody parents. I just grew up praying, learning how to build tables, studying scripture. And then around age 30, I started a, a ministry. I was walking around the Middle East, a handful of guys. And uh, people seemed to like it. It got pretty popular. Uh, but people in power didn't. They really did not like this ministry I had. So they arrested me. They put me through a sham trial, tortured me, and killed me. And I died. I died with giant nails through my hands and my feet, suffocating to death and excruciating pain. I died so you could be free. I died to wipe it away, to wipe your debt away. Love, Jesus. Wiping away our debt costs God everything. He came and he lived a whole life so that you could be free, to forgive your sins. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it should not be a light thing that we consider that Jesus, God, is giving us this position 
to just ask to wipe it away because it was so costly to Jesus and to God. And the way, one way we can participate in that forgiveness of the Lord's prayer is through the act of confession, by actively naming our sins, both in prayer to God and to others, as a way to break the power of the sin and lead to further maturity and forgiveness. We see this in other parts of scripture. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another, pray for one another. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The author and psychiatrist, Kurt Thompson, he writes on this, on an idea of confessional communities, ones where we share what's going on in our lives, where we're coming from and confessing our sins, leading to greater life transformation. He writes, we need others to bear witness to our deepest longings, our greatest joys, our most painful shame, and all the rest, including confessing sins, in order to have any sense at all of ourselves. In prayer, in asking for forgiveness, in confessing our sins, we will come to know God better, we will come to know ourselves better, and lead to greater maturity through embracing the forgiveness we have in Christ. So at least to the question of what is it that we need to confess today? We'll have time of confession after this sermon, but what do you need to confess to God? To whom do you need to confess? Do we need to ask for forgiveness from someone else? Is it losing your temper, gossiping about coworkers or friends, not being present with your spouse or children? obsessing over the next step or your past. I don't know what it is for you, but the invitation is in accepting the forgiveness of Christ is to pray that forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and to confess our sins. God, we have immense forgiveness in Christ, and God also expects us to share that forgiveness with others. That's that really weighty tag at the end of this passage on prayer. But it should be encouraging because there's an incredible power at work in those who are forgiven. We can forgive others, and that forgiveness flows from God's forgiveness. Commentator Dale Bruner points out that Jesus reminds us of our standing privilege of access to the Father before he reminds us of our standing responsibility of forgiving neighbors. He doesn't say, as we've forgiven others, please forgive us. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven debtors. That order is important because our forgiveness of others flows out of having been forgiven. Forgiveness received and not passed on, Bruner writes, is faithless forgiveness and unreal. But now this doesn't mean that if we are struggling to forgive that we're not saved or something like that. You know, forgiveness is difficult. When you've been wronged, there is hurt. Jesus is saying that if you don't embody forgiveness to others, if you're uninterested or unwilling or unable to forgive, then it would indicate that we haven't experienced God's forgiveness. Forgiveness flows from having been forgiven. 
Martin Luther wrote, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but when we find ourselves able to forgive others, we have a unique evidence that God's forgiveness is at work in us. When we find ourselves unable, unable to forgive others, we need to lean into God and ask for help in forgiving. God expects, expects us to forgive others, but there's three kind of like quirks about forgiving others that I want to talk about. Um, forgiveness means wiping the slate clean, erasing the debt, taking the burden of justice or repayment or punishment away from someone, no longer living eye for an eye. But forgiveness is difficult. Okay, we've talked about that a little bit, but big sin requires big forgiveness. And that takes time, it takes work, it can take professional help through therapy and counseling. Maybe if it's within the context of marriage, you know, couples counseling, something like that. But big sins require big forgiveness, and that is difficult. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of prayer, a lot of processing. Forgiving others also involves our emotions and feelings. Forgiving others is not emotionless. I don't know about you, but it, it seems a lot of times if someone wrongs us in a small way, we'll just say, no worries. It's not a problem right? It's not a problem. But what if it is a problem? You know, what if, what if the way that somebody's wronged you is a problem? It does us no good to shove that down, pretend that there's no hurt or any change in the relationship from the wrong that's been committed. God does not diminish or downgrade our sin just to make us feel good. He forgives our sin. It's important to communicate the hurt someone has done to you. And without communicating it, the hurt will inevitably turn to bitterness, resentment, becoming sin within you that you then need to confess and seek forgiveness for. Yes, there's forbearance and patience. We don't talk about, we don't need to say, you hurt me every single moment that somebody has. But we do need to be in tune with our feelings with our emotions, recognize when we feel hurt. Otherwise, we will not be able to forgive and it will only lead to greater conflicts. Forgiving is difficult. Forgiving is not emotionless. And it also doesn't always equal total reconciliation in the end, at least in human relationships. God puts in all of the work on his end to forgive us fix everything, and welcome us back in. But in a broken, sinful world, sin has consequences. It's e Again, when we get back to the debt topic with money, it's easy to kind of recognize this. If you have a CPA and they file your taxes and then they steal your money, they steal some of your tax return or something like that, you can forgive them even and say, okay, you don't owe me that money anymore but you don't have to have them file your taxes again. Okay, you don't have to open yourself up to the fraud and the stealing again. Sin has consequences. But when there's greater intimacy in a relationship and there's greater hurt, we will want to seek reconciliation, but that takes time. Forgiving others does wipe the slate clean but it doesn't necessarily deal with all the earthly consequences of broken trust, shattered intimacy, or ruined reputation. That's hard, 
but sometimes we want to short circuit forgiveness and pretend like everything's okay. And we think that getting back to the exact state of the relationship before the sin was committed against us is in, in as short of time as possible is the Christian thing to do. But reckoning with the hurt, the pain, and the untrustworthiness of individuals who have hurt us at times is the only honest way to reconcile. The hurt and the pain has to be named. The road to true trust and reconciliation is long and it's difficult. It's covered in prayer and counsel and often, like I've said, therapy. And offers of reconciliation toward healthy relationships often have stipulations attached to show that there is evidence of change, signs of contrition. And it's easy to understand in the the context of like addiction, right? With addiction, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, other programs, there's a lot of lines drawn around what healthy behavior is and what getting to uh, a a reconciled relationship with family members and and friends looks like. But when it comes to, to jealousy and greed and other sins like that, we don't think about the need for reconciliation in those sorts of terms. But our sin, oftentimes for us, are forms of addiction that have been formed within us, and it is so hard to break free of those, and it is necessary at times to put in extra work, and just saying, I forgive you, doesn't heal the relationship. So forgiving others does not always equal total reconciliation, especially in the short term. God expects us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. The beauty of the Lord's Prayer, though, is that Jesus is teaching us this principle of asking for forgiveness, pointing out our forgiveness before God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's telling us that sharing that forgiveness is important, that it's expected of us. But the mere fact that he is putting it in a prayer to God shows us that we are not left alone in forgiving others. Jesus could have only taught about forgiveness in a parable. He talks about it a lot. He talks about forgiveness an awful lot. He could have skipped it in the Lord's Prayer, pulled out those two lines, and then just had the tag at the bottom where he teaches about it in prose. Instead, I mean, it's got the indents in our, in our Bibles, right? It's a prayer. It's poetry. Jesus inserts forgiveness in this relational dialogue with God because he cares about what you're going through in forgiving others. God is intimately aware of what it takes to forgive you and everyone else. And so when we, we, the fact that we can come to him, seek his presence in our forgiving others should give us immense peace and confidence that any struggles or challenges that we experience in forgiving others in big and small sense, that we are not alone, that we are loved, that we are cared for, and that he will not abandon us in that process. God wants us to come to him with our challenges in forgiving others. You are not alone. And if you don't have the power in yourself to forgive others, it only comes from God and in communion with God. And that sacrifice that Jesus gave 
is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. It costs Jesus everything to be able to give us the Lord's Supper for us to remember it. Without his body on the cross and his blood poured out for us, we would have nothing to celebrate. Without the forgiveness from Jesus achieved in his life and his death, we would not be able to forgive others. And without his example of prayer here, we would have much less to go on in terms of how to pray to him like we're about to do. And so we're going to walk through these prayer prompts, and there's going to be about 90 seconds or so in between these where we can just pray on our own, pray to God, pray for forgiveness, prayers of confession, prayers of yielding to his will, and to ask for his presence to come into our hearts and minds. And after that, we're going to have communion. And so you'll come forward and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. There's gluten-free bread at this station over here on my right, your left. And this act of taking communion, it's accepting Christ's forgiveness. It's saying, forgive me my debts. I have debts that need forgiven. I have sin that needs forgiven. And you, God, have taken it all away. And you have made this possible. And if you're not a Christian and you don't believe that you have a debt or sin to God and that there is no sacrifice on your behalf, then it doesn't really make sense to, to partake. But just watch and maybe pray during this time of prayer. And, and if you want to talk more about what it means to be forgiven your sin and debt, then come talk to me or talk to one of the other pastors here, one of the pastors here. And, and we'd love to talk to you more about that and maybe pray about what this means. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And we're going to pray through a prayer of presence, of rejoicing, of asking God for forgiveness, and also yielding to his will.